You're listening to the Fantasy Sports Radio Network. College football today. Oh, we are kicking it up a notch, heading into week number four. Conference play across the top 25. It's time to separate the contenders from the pretenders. Rock and Rich Sermonello, this is what it's all about if you're a college football fan. We'll get a good gauge of the top teams a little bit later today. Yeah, I mean, it's every weekend in college football. I think that's why we love it. There are great matchups from coast to coast. I love the fact that in the SEC, Joe, we're going to see a couple of games that we don't normally see. In the SEC, we've got an eight-game conference schedule, so those cross-division games, Alabama versus Vanderbilt, Mississippi State versus Georgia, they happen infrequently, but today they happen, and they're going to tell us a lot about those two division races. We have a big show planned for you today. Sit back for the next three hours, 1024 Eastern Time. We're going to be joined by former Wisconsin running back Anthony Davis. We'll get Anthony's take about the two Big Ten games, Michigan and Purdue, Penn State and Iowa, a little bit later today, 1124 Eastern, 824 Pacific. We'll be joined by former Georgia Bulldog wide receiver Corey Allen. Get Corey's take about some of the big games in the SEC, Alabama and Vanderbilt built at 3.30 and then later tonight Mississippi State and Nick Fitzgerald taking on Georgia between the hedges and then at 10.40 and 11.40 Eastern Time our Game Time Decisions host Gabe Morenci will give us our his best bets for the day. He's been hot as a pistol. Last night Rich though, some intriguing developments across the top 25. We saw Boise State really get pl- outplayed on both sides of the ball by a solid uh, Virginia team 42-23 to and then Utah slipped past Arizona in uh, Tucson last night, a close 30-24 to victory. But I was really shocked at how Boise State got outplayed. We talked about it during the offseason, didn't we, right? I mean, Brian Harson of Boise State, uh, there's been a noticeable difference in Boise State in terms of just the feel and the intensity of that program, whether it's offense or defense. This is no longer Chris Peterson. You know, this isn't even Houston nut any longer. I mean, for that team to lose on the blue turf that badly. But let's give a lot of credit to Bronco Mendenhall in Virginia. Kurt Benkert froze well. Andre Lavrone, the wide receiver, played well. Defensively, they have veterans like Micah Kaiser and Quinn Blanding. So Virginia, after the tough loss a couple of weeks ago against Indiana... ACC might have even more depth than we thought with the Cavaliers coming on strong. And you're talking about Kurt Banker, three touchdown passes last night, over 270 passing yards, 440 total yards of offense. We said it. I picked Boise State to lose five games in 2017. They already have two losses. But let's give a lot of credit to Kyle Winningham and Utah. A sneaky 4-0 start now. A more wide-open attack. They can be a team that you really have to concentrate on as we move and navigate through Pac-12 play. Joe, never flashy. You know the Utah model, right? Never flashy. They just keep winning. So a lot of credit to Kyle Whittingham and the Utes. Oh, we're just getting started. We have a full slate of top 25 action. Keep it where it is. This is Joe Lisi and Rich Sermonello live from Studio 34 Fantasy Sports Radio Network.
Are you new to Daily Fantasy? Are you a veteran? Either way, you can better your chances of winning money and lots of it by going to DailyRoto.com. Multiple people have become millionaires thanks to the guys at Daily Roto. Why not take advice from the experts? You can become a millionaire too. Just go to DailyRoto.com to rock Daily Fantasy Sports. on college football today right here from studio 34 rockin riley's great slate of top 25 action if you want to talk college football with us give us a call 844-843-6879 that's 844-843-6879 you could follow me on twitter at go for the two you could follow rich on twitter at rich sermonello that's c-i-r-m-i-n-i-e-l-l-o rich huge battle in nashville Number one ranked Alabama, Vanderbilt at 3-0. and Sneaky good game later today. That's sneaky good. Joe and I had that one pegged last <laughs> week outright. We had the Commodores yes. upsetting Kansas State, so we weren't terribly surprised by that. Listen, here, here's my take on Vanderbilt. Uh, very impressed by what Derek Mason has done. Wasn't easy in the early going. I wasn't sure if he was going to be able to adequately replace James Franklin. He's done a remarkable job. Joe, that defense is SEC caliber. I have no doubt that on defense alone, they can challenge Alabama. I'll go further. I think they can challenge in the SEC East with that defense. But the problem I have is offensively. Look at last week's game against Kansas State, 14 points. Kyle Shermer was average. They're still struggling to run the ball. That's the issue that I have. Can this be a four-quarter game? It's going to depend on the Vanderbilt offense. I don't think they'll be able to move the ball effectively. In fact, you know, last year we talked a lot about knots in Tuscaloosa, the non-offensive touchdowns. I think this is one of those games where the Tide has a couple of pick sixes. That's the issue. They may have trouble moving the ball with Jalen Hurts on offense, but look for the defense and or the special teams to produce points for the Tide. Well, I'll say this. When you talk about Alabama, they've dominated the series since 1985. They've won 21 straight games against Vanderbilt. Last loss against the Commodores came in 1984 by a score of 30-21. to They did forfeit a game in 1993, but they won that ballgame 17-6, although it is counted as a loss. Vanderbilt has been dominated in the series. You mentioned that defense. Vanderbilt heading into this ball game, holding opposing offenses to 14% on third down conversions. You talked about Kyle Shermer, uh, Rich. He's got eight touchdown passes already in 2017. He had nine all of last year. But here's the thing I look at when I look at Alabama twofold. Brian Dable, the new offensive coordinator. This is an offense that's passing for 178 yards through the air this year compared to last year under Lane Kiffin, 210 yards per game. Third down conversions with Jalen Hurts, 36% compared to 43% last year. So that's the change offensively. And then defensively, is this the same Alabama defense? They're allowing 18 rushing yards per game, 224 passing yards to opposing offenses. And third down conversions, they're allowing 41% to opposing offenses compared to 30%. A lot of new starters in that defense, only five sacks already. 
I like Vanderbilt to keep this game close. Ultimately, I think uh, Vanderbilt loses a a close game, 35-21, but it is high scoring. You do? You really think so? Yeah, I think think so. so. I do. I I don't know where the points come from for Vanderbilt in particular. I mean, that's the concern that I have is, again, you know, that offense predicated on the running game. Ralph Webb has not had running room. We talked about it last week on the show. I thought they needed to establish something with either Carrie Blassingame or Ralph Webb. They're not getting off their blocks. And and I kind of agree with your point. Uh, defensively, tied not as dominant. They had some issues against Colorado State last week. One of the things about Alabama, I think what makes this program, one of the many things that makes this program so special Number one team in the country, and yet they were so disappointed by that victory over Colorado State that they had a players-only meeting on Monday. I I mean, only in Tuscaloosa (laughs) are you having a players-only meeting, and you're number one in the country, and you just blew out a decent Colorado State team. So, you know, listen, Jalen Hurts, he could have some success on the ground. I think what happens is... By the time you get to the second half, the ability of Alabama to pound it between the tackles with all of those quality backs, those fresh legs, you know, whether it's Damian Harris, Bo Scarborough, uh, even Najee Harris, you know, I, I, I think they're going to be able to wear out that defense and then look for Deron Payne on the defensive side of Alabama. Besides the secondary, he's the one front seven player who I think has dominating tendencies. He against Bruno Reagan on the offensive line of Vanderbilt. I think that's the mismatch that could eventually cause problems. So I see this as competitive for a half. Alabama pulls away again. Non-offensive touchdowns. I expect at least one in this game. I'll say Alabama 31 to 10, but that's not a disrespect to Vandy. I think this team is clearly headed in the right direction, and I'll say it. I think they can challenge a Florida, maybe even a Georgia. Competitive, though. Yes. I think they'll compete. I'm not saying they'll win the East, but I think this is a competitive, very well-coached football team. Well, Alabama entering this ball game's plus six in turnover margin. Last year, that's all they did was score off their turnovers. I think one concern, if you're an Alabama fan, is the speed of Alabama, to me, is going to be the difference. Their ability to stretch that secondary of Vanderbilt. They haven't seen speed like this. They played Kansas State, contained Jesse Yurts, and they played Southern Miss very well. But this is a different animal with the top-ranked team in the country the speed of Alabama and even Calvin Ridley their leading wide receiver that leads that team with 15 receptions already through three games here's the concern I have when I look at the Alabama offense outside of Jalen Hurts it is Calvin Ridley he's a one-man show he's got 15 total receptions on the year you look at Cam Sims and you look at Robert Foster both of those wide receivers combined seven receptions they're going to have to get other wide receivers involved guys like Jerry Judy because they're going to double team Calvin Calvin Ridley and force Jalen Hurts to beat them over the top and that's the matchup you want to see play out. Do you think that's a product of the receivers not having developed or the young quarterback Jalen Hurts who you know his running ability is still ahead of his arm is it a case where he's locking on to Calvin Ridley doesn't have OJ Howard any longer either at tight end so is he locking on to the receiver could be Dable point? too I, I've yeah. always said that you, you a lot has not been said about Lane Kiffin's ability to create mismatches in terms of allowing his playmakers one-on-one opportunities to get the ball in space and that's the one thing that Lane Kiffin game planned just as good if not the best in the country and you're seeing a slight transition now you mentioned Scarborough 
just like last year, only 143 rushing yards entering this ballgame, one rushing touchdown. It is Damian Harris now carrying the load. He's still not 100%. Now, they're going to have to contain Jalen Hurts on the outside in the perimeter. They did an absolute fantastic job against Jesse Ertz. But again, it's the speed of Alabama on the perimeter that ultimately, in my opinion, will make the difference in this ballgame. But I see big plays here. I'll give you a couple of quick thoughts. From an intangible standpoint, I think Alabama likes this situation. I oh, like, they do. They I, love I, it. I think they love the they fact love that there's a little buzz in Nashville, <laughs> which I think is great. Right. I think it's fantastic because Vandy's not a traditional sports power. It's an academic power. That's number one. I think they recognize the situation. Number two is I think they heard this week that a lot of people, a lot of people in our chairs talking about you know, that Clemson team, maybe they're ready to repeat. I, everybody's t- and everybody should be talking about Clemson after their back-to-back victories. Right. But now I think nationally the buzz is Clemson's back. We may have underrated them. Deshaun was great, but Kelly Bryant's really good. This Clemson team, they deserve to be number one. I think Alabama heard that. I like the players-only meeting. I think they're going to dominate defensively, barring a non-offensive touchdown, Joe, I don't think Vandy gets beyond 14 points. Well, here's the key for Vanderbilt in this ballgame as well from an offensive perspective. They need to be aggressive against Alabama. Put the pressure on Jalen Hurts. They need to score first in this ballgame. They cannot afford to play catch-up against the speed of Alabama, not just offensively but defensively as well. I think they have to take some chances, blitz early, force three and outs to give Kyle Shermer and that offense opportunities of a short field. If they can do that, I think they'll be in the game from start to finish again this is the biggest game in Nashville Rich I mean could be 15-20 years I know Jay Keltler was there they got the victory over Tennessee during his days there but the number one ranked team in the country coming in Nashville Derek Mason I mean he's going to have this team up they're going to be into this ball game again I don't put a lot into that victory over Kansas State in terms of a great effort and I think Kansas State takes a step back but from a speed perspective they haven't faced the speed of Alabama to this degree the speed and the depth I I, I say look at the second half of this game that's where I'll really judge Vanderbilt they don't have the size the physicality or the depth of Alabama once Nick has an opportunity to retool at halftime to game plan again with his coaches in the second half. I think this could be a seven-point game at halftime, but I could see it being a 14-point, a 21-point deficit. I'll say 31-10, to 10, Alabama, Ooh. cautiously optimistic that the Tide could cover that big number. I'm rolling the dice with the Commodores here. Again, I think they're going to keep – I think their defense will make enough plays, and their offense, if they strike first, they'll be in this game from start to finish – 35-21, but I see big plays, not just out of Vanderbilt. A lot of people have said, how does Vanderbilt score? You're aggressive on first and second down. Play action to loosen up that tie defensive front seven. Make them think pass. That'll open up the running lanes for Blasting Game and Webb later in that ball game. We're just getting started. Keep it where it is. This is Joe Lisi, Rich Sermonello. We'll be talking NC State FSU next on the Fantasy Sports Radio Network. Hello, friends. 
friends? If you want to win at Fantasy Sports, wouldn't you listen to people who have already won at Fantasy Sports? I'm here to tell you about DailyRoto.com. Don't be intimidated by the Draft Kings and FanDuel Sharks, even the Fantasy Draft Sharks. The guys at DailyRoto.com have not only won a million dollars amongst one of the writers, but they've created three others. That's four people who have won millionaire contests from this content alone. Don't be fooled by screenshots talking about $25,000 winners from other places. Go to DailyRoto.com where they have a proven track record of creating millionaires. DailyRoto.com. Tell them Greg Sussman sent you. Taking place in Tallahassee, number 12, Florida State, ACC opponent, NC State, and quarterback Ryan Finley. Florida State's won the last four games, Rich, by an average margin of victory, 17 points per game. They escaped in Raleigh last year, 24-20. to James Blackman making his first career start for DeAndre Francois. Been a long layoff for Florida State since September 2nd. I like the Seminoles here. I do. You're going to have to explain why, because I I like (laughs) NC State as one of my best bets. Wow. I I do simply because, you know, Florida State has been off for three weeks. I I mean, it's been so long. I think they're going to be looking for bowl swag before the game with the Wolfpack. I mean, it feels like a bowl break for Florida State. I have no idea what to expect from James Blackman. I watched some high school film on him. He's a wiry 6'5", 170-pound kid, very athletic, but he has a couple of reps in the opener against Alabama, and now he has to go up against one of the premier defensive lines in the country, led by Bradley Chubb, Darian Roseborough, Kentavia Street, B.J. Hill. I mean, they're loaded up front, and oh, by the way, I'm not in love with Florida State's offensive line. I still think that's a potential weakness. So two great defensive lines in this game. I think Blackman struggles. Now, Florida State's got the edge on defense. NC State does not have a great defensive line, a great offensive line. But the experience of Ryland Finley, a little bit of Jalen Samuels, I think like last year, this is a close game between these two teams. I think NC State's getting what, like 13? They it's are a heck 13. Of a lot of points. Yeah. I, I was high on NC State at the start of the year. I picked them at nine and three overall, but I do not like the way they're playing. Ryan Finley playing very well, completing around seventy-five percent of his passes, nine hundred and eighty-seven yards, six touchdowns, no interceptions. You mentioned that defensive front seven led by Bradley Chubb, holding opposing offenses to eighty-eight rushing yards on the ground. But the secondary is where yes. I have concerns. Two hundred and fifty-three passing yards per game from a speed perspective. I think Florida State has a significant advantage. A couple of factors as well. Long layoff with the Hurricane, but Jimbo Fisher understands the long layoff with the Hurricane. He was the offensive coordinator for LSU during Hurricane Katrina. And the, and the other factor is this. Not a lot of game film on James Blackman. He's a prototypical drop-back passer, five-star recruit. He's in you high can school get, I underst- But so was DeAndre Francois last year no, against Ole Miss. he was a redshirt freshman. But he's still... But, uh, you sure about that? Yeah, I'm pretty sure. We'll double-check uh, it, uh, but I'm pretty sure he was... I, I'm pretty sure this I is did. his third year in Tallahassee. Okay. No, nonetheless, like, I, I like your point about the secondary I looked at the same thing not in love with NC State secondary but this is the kind of game against a true freshman quarterback 
where that secondary may not get exposed. And again, Florida State doesn't have their top receivers from last year. Some good receivers in Nyquan Murray and out in Tate, but not a lot of talent at tight end. You still have the young running backs led by Cam Akers. Jock Patrick is a bulldozer between the tackles. Again, the offensive line of Florida State is a concern. So if you have issues at NC State secondary, and I do as well, it's not a great defensive backfield, this is the game where they may not get exposed. And if Bradley Chubb and that defensive line can apply pressure on the young quarterback, I see a lot of opportunities for turnovers, errant passes, forced throws that go the other way. So I see NC State being in this game throughout. They're going to have a hard time moving the ball on Florida State defense, which is one of the top 10 in the country. But I'm not exactly sure where the points come from if you're a Florida State Seminole. They've been close. Now, I watched that game against Furman last week in Raleigh. I was not impressed with uh, NC State's uh, secondary. They allowed 195 passing yards per game. They allowed over 300 passing to Marshall. And Jake Bentley, week number one, 215 yards. But he found the end zone. And that's the one thing I think when you look at a game plan perspective for Florida State, they have the advantage on the outside. Now, they played very well last year in Raleigh. Raleigh, they had that victory. Ryan Finley couldn't pull it out in the end, and NC State should have won that ball game. But I still like Florida State speed here. I just can't buy into NC State on the road in this ball game. I think they win this ball game convincingly, and not to just go against you. I, I see like forty-one twenty-one here. I really do. I think the speed of Florida State's the difference. I, I listen. I, I think if it's forty-one, you're banking on Florida State getting special teams or defensive touchdowns. I, I think a true freshman quarterback going up against a veteran front seven. Again, I'll harp on it. This is a good, solid ACC front seven defensive line and the linebackers if you're going to bank on a true freshman who has never started a game before in this kind of a setting and the rust that may be starting to settle in on those Seminoles I can't see it I'm not saying that I expect the upset and I wouldn't be blown away if Florida State wins by two touchdowns because of the defensive prowess that they have led by Derek Nottie uh, Josh Sweat Brian Burns up front so they're going to cause problems for NC State but I think this is a game the pack can and, and in terms of last week I was not impressed against Furman and I hate to do this because I'm sort of slanting it in my direction I think they were looking ahead to Florida State I really do you're going against your MO with I know State. I don't like Dave Doran I'm not a Doran <laughs> fan at year, all last but, but year, Doran plays were, it close Doran will keep his team in games against quality opponents did it last year against Florida State did it last year against Clemson didn't get the victory but at the end of the day I don't care if he gets the victory I just need him to <laughs> lose by less than 13, which well, is what we'll, I expect. We'll see how that game plays out. That's a 12 early it's a fun kick. Game. It's an early it's kick and, and expect the fans to be in that ball game because they haven't seen football now since September 2nd. Yeah. Should be a great uh, great place, great atmosphere there in Tallahassee at 12 o'clock, about two hours later today. I love this ball game. Fa- one of my favorite games of the day, the rematch of the Pac-12 championship, Washington and Colorado. Washington's owned the series since 2012. They've won those ball games. 4-0 by 33.2 points per game. They got the victory last year in the Pac-12 championship game, 41-10. to 
But I'm all in with the Buffalo's offense, led by quarterback Steven Montez. 299 passing yards per game, Rich. Those wide receivers, Shea Fields, Devin Ross, Bryce Bobo, 54 total receptions, 689 yards, and five touchdowns. That's the difference. They stretch Washington's defense vertically. Upset, 28-24. Colorado gets the win. You have the outright victory. Outright victory. You're not frightened by history at all. Absolutely Seven not. consecutive victories. Nope. Not just outright, but seven straight against the spread for the Huskies. I'm kind of with Joe in this game. I really am. I'd love to tweak him a little bit, but I can't because I like this Colorado program. Washington hasn't been tested. Colorado has. You mentioned Montez. I'll say Philip Lindsay. Reminds me a little bit of the Washington back, Miles Gaskin. They're both a little bit undersized, sawed-off type running backs, but they're tough and physical. They'll break tackles. They'll bounce off tacklers. And I still like the defense of Colorado. I really do. I'm dying to see the matchup between Isaiah Oliver, one of my favorite corners in the country, versus Dante Pettis, who's dynamic as a receiver and on special teams. I think this is a competitive football game. I don't think it looks like the Pac-12 championship game. It's in Boulder. Colorado can run it. Colorado can still play defense. I don't know if they pull the upset, but I think they're in this game, and I think they're getting double digits, with, which I think is a gift right now. Well, it's not just offensively. Defensively, like you mentioned, they lost three starters from that secondary. They're holding opposing offenses to 25% on third-down conversions. And when you look at the flip side with uh, UW and Jake Browning, not the same type of offense that it was last year. They're rushing for 128 yards on the ground compared to 198 last year. No John Ross, so teams are double-teaming Dante Pettis expect Colorado to double-team Dante Pettis in this ballgame, force Browning to beat them over the top. You look at the third-down offense for Washington, 38% on third-down. That's going to be the matchup. Third-down offense versus third-down defense. I give the edge to Colorado, Folsom Field. I love Boulder. They're going to be. It's, it'll probably be a blackout for that game as well. It I mean, should be a blackout. It should be. Yeah. I mean, the, Ralphie's going to be running oh, wild. The buffs, CU yeah. buffs, baby. Yeah. Yeah. I'm all in with CU today. Yeah, again, I'm with you. I, I like this Colorado program. Mike McIntyre's done a fantastic job. They're sort of a pro-style team. They run the ball, play strong defense. Washington is struggling at the point of attack right from week one against Rutgers. I didn't see them blowing off the ball. They have all Pac-12 offensive linemen, but they're not creating space for Miles Gaskin. And if they don't protect Jake Browning, who is not a particularly mobile quarterback, that Colorado defense is liable to uh, impact the integrity of the pocket. So I think this is a competitive football game throughout. And for those who expected Colorado to be a one-hit wonder, I think today in front of their home crowd is an opportunity to show that they're here to stay as long as they can keep Mike McIntyre in Boulder. Now, if... Washington is going to win this game. It's going to be off turnovers. Last year, they were tied with Western Michigan. Tops in FBS, plus 18 in turnover margin. Still creating turnovers heading into this ballgame. So that'll be a concern for Colorado. You want to maintain ball security heading into this matchup. You look at the out-of-conference games for Washington so far. Beat up on Rutgers. Beat up on Fresno State. Those teams were a combined 3-21 and in 2016, Rich. So you can't really get a good gauge. They played better. I mean, Fresno no State under Jeff Tedford, much better. Chris Ash's group played well that week one matchup, but let's call it what it is. Not solid competition through the first three games. 
Yeah, I haven't been. I still think Washington is the class of the Pac-12, by the way. And, I, and I'm still predicting Washington to win a Pac-12 championship. But through three weeks, have not been overwhelmed by this program, with the exception of a Dante Pettis. Defensively, though, look out. There's still talent. Byron Murphy on the back end. Tevis Bartlett at linebacker. Vita Vea up front. Azeem Victor, the linebacker, is back from injury after missing the tail end of last year. So don't sleep on that Washington defense. I say Huskies win, but Huskies win by seven or eight. I think Colorado gets the cover. Wow. Now, Colorado rushing for 148 yards on the ground. Lindsey does have three rushing touchdowns. Look for LeVon Coleman to be utilized for Washington in the screen game. They utilized him last year in the Pac-12 championship game. That was the matchup that you want to see. So keep it where it is. We're coming back. We got major your top 25 games on tap. This is Joe Lisi, Rich Sermonello, live from Studio 34, Fantasy Sports Radio Network. Ezekiel Elliott, Carl Anthony Towns, Corey Seager. Those are the rookies of the year. Much like the Fantasy Sports Radio Network. The fastest growing fantasy sports network on radio is completely free 24-7. Listen to us live at FNTSY.com slash radio or download the app right now in the Google Play Store or on iTunes. Huge matchup. Between the hedges later tonight, Dan Mullen and Nick Fitzgerald go on the road to face Kirby Smart and the Georgia Bulldogs. Great SEC matchup later tonight. You're talking about Georgia and Mississippi State. These teams haven't played since 2011. Georgia got the victory 24-10. You look at Mississippi State last week, 37-7 over LSU, rushing for 285 yards in that matchup. Nick Fitzgerald, 88 rushing yards, two touchdowns. Rich, this is a Mississippi State offense rushing for 297 yards on the ground, going up against Georgia's defense that's holding opposing offenses to 71 rushing yards per game that's the matchup this is one of my favorite games all day long and one of my best bets Uh-oh. love georgia later today 21 the women and children Joe's 21 us- points or more oh god blowout There's no yes. way yes. they're winning by more than three touchdowns yes. in fact one of my best bets of the day oh, i love it is the bulldogs of Starkville. <laughs> That's the bulldog I like. Listen, I'm not going to complicate matters. Normally, I would look at a game like this and say, well, Mississippi State, they're not used to being there. They have a, a historical win uh, under their belt against LSU. Never beat the Tigers by as much as they did last weekend. But I'm not going to complicate it with psychology. The fact is, what I saw is what I saw. And that is a legit football team led by Nick Fitzgerald, but it's more than the quarterback. It's Aris Williams out of the backfield. It's a defense that dominated at the line of scrimmage against LSU. I don't like the interior of the Georgia offensive line. I'm not going to beat up Jake Fromm too much. I think he's grown nicely in a couple of weeks as a true freshman, but he is not going to match up well against Nick Fitzgerald. Listen, I think these are two equal teams And folks are going to start to learn about Todd Grantham's defense. I know you're not a big Grantham fan, 
But Jeffrey Simmons on the defensive line against that Georgia offensive line. Joe, I think this is a nail-biter for 60 minutes. I think it's a white knuckler from (laughs) wire to wire. I wouldn't be surprised if Mississippi State wins it outright, but give me me the six points, and I'm a happy camper. I'll give you eight points. Here's what I look at. You're going to give me 20. You're saying it's a three-touchdown victory. Here's what I look at in this ballgame. Now, let's keep in mind, Todd Granlin was the former uh, defensive coordinator for the Bulldogs a few years ago under Mark Rick. That aside, you're talking about a Georgia defense that's holding a offenses to 30% on third down conversions and more importantly only 195 passing yards per game. You look at their matchup a few weeks ago in South Bend against a mobile quarterback Brandon Winbush who just set a Notre Dame rushing record last week. 207 rushing yards on the ground against Boston College. They contained that offense 55 rushing yards in that game Rich held Notre Dame to 3-17 on third down conversions. That's what I look at in this ballgame, and Kirby Smart I think makes Nick Fitzgerald and that offense one-dimensional. I don't like Donald Gray on the outside to really challenge Dominic Sanders in that secondary, and I, you talk about the offensive line for Georgia. They're rushing for 230 rushing yards per game. Nick Chubb, Sony Michelle at home between the hedges? Haven't faced Give a me good the defense dogs. yet. Haven't Give faced- me the dogs. <laughs> <laughs> You're killing me here, buddy. <laughs> I, they have not faced a quality defense yet. I, I mean, they, they, they've played App State, average, good Sunbelt team. You liked App State, didn't you? I, I, I did, actually. I did. Thank you for remembering that, by the way. Uh, uh, so what was it, Sanford last week? Right. Sanford last week. And, and Notre Dame is not a top-flight defense. I, this is the best defense that Georgia will have faced in the month of September. I think it's going to be a tough test. Joe does bring up a really good point. I I think it benefits Georgia to have faced Brandon Wimbush because they remind me of the same type of player. Run first, big, physical, more of a between-the-tackle type runner than outside the tackles. You know, he'll throw, but he's not yet considered a next-level type passing quarterback. I'm going to stick to the Mississippi State defense. I, I, I think they're going to get Pressure on Jake Fromm, still a true freshman. This is the second time today I'm picking against a true freshman quarterback, James Blackman first, and now Jake Fromm. But listen, I I think Mississippi State is for real. What I love about this game, forget picks for a moment, just from a college football fan perspective, this is sort of like an early semifinal game to see who might be the next best thing to Alabama in the SEC because the winner of this game is going to step up and say, you know what, bring on Bama in Atlanta in early December because they're going to feel as if they could win an SEC championship. Well, much to your point, Mississippi State, I mean, they're a blue-collar team, have been under Dan Mullen for years now. I mean, I grew up a Mississippi State fan, guys like Michael Haddix back in the day, Tony Bowie, uh, you know, Michael Davis, some of the old-school Wesley Lisi back uh, years ago. In no Starkville. relation, I guess. Wesley <laughs> it was Lisi. Kevin Bowie, excuse me. But uh, uh, when I look at this Mississippi State team offensively under Nick Fitzgerald, a one-man show, a wrecking crew, Seven passing touchdowns, five rushing touchdowns. But again, if you can contain him, I think it's one-dimensional, much the way Lamar Jackson is for Louisville. As Nick Fitzgerald goes, so does that offense. Now, defensively, Mississippi State is playing lights out, holding opposing offenses to 21% on third-down conversions. Better than Georgia. I look at that LSU offense. They had some offensive line concerns. Danny Etling isn't an all-world quarterback, but you look at that offensive line for LSU, I want to say a makeshift offensive line that got through the first couple of games 
okay, but then when they faced an SEC opponent, they sort of caved in last week. You were singing O Canada during the offseason in honor of Matt Canada I because was. you thought he was going to be a difference maker for the and LSU he still might offense. Be. He still might be without still, Danny Etling, yeah, though. Yeah, he still might be, but, you know, I, I liked Mississippi State last week was against a great call. LSU. It was a great call. And I feel like I have my finger on the pulse of this program. I am an unabashed lover of Dan Mullen. We talked about it. If it was not last week, it might have been the previous week. Dan Mullen and Mike Gundy, two of the most underrated head coaches in college football. I think he's taking a confident team between the hedges tonight. I Listen, if you like college football, if you like football, if you don't like football, watch this game. It is going to be a great matchup i think it's going to be a thrilling finish for me i'll rest easy because i'll have the points in this game so if it's a field goal game either way i don't give a darn it's going to be entertaining and i'm getting another mississippi state bringing back the days of dante walker and desenzo miller back in the day (laughs) of starkville uh we'll see how that game plays out i'm all over georgia this is one of my better plays of the day i think they win this ball game by 20 points or more kirby smart will have a solid game plan in place for the bulldogs in that matchup a great matchup taking place in iowa city later tonight penn state and james Franklin on the road. It's pink locker rooms all around. Iowa looking for the upset, much the way they did last year against Michigan, 14-13. to Now, Penn State dominated this matchup last year, 41-14. to To me, it is the offensive balance of Trace McSooley, Saquon Barkley, Penn State averaging 282 passing yards per game, 187 yards on the ground, and they have 11 sacks through three games this is my team to win the Big Ten. I'm not backing down now. I don't see this as a trap game. Akron Wadley's banged up. James Butler's out. I'm not sold on Nathan Stanley either. Yeah, listen, I, I'm with you on, on Penn State and the Big Ten. I think they're for real. A lot of folks wondered in the offseason, can Penn State still get back up the mountain? You know, there's Ohio State. There's the fighting Jim Harbaugh's. And, you know, <laughs> Penn State was a one-year wonder. Not the case. I mean, James Franklin has done a remarkable job in a short period of time. You talk about the offensive balance led by their offensive coordinator, Joe Moorhead. That's going to be a problem for Iowa. Defensively, Penn State's done a good job. Here's my thought, though. It is a night game in Iowa City. I I mean, they, they play well at Kinnick Stadium. Kirk Ferentz has this team motivated. Iowa's played well so far this year. I like the defense. Josh Jackson is a kid on the back end who I think will match up well against those Penn State receivers. Nobody has really stepped up as a true number one on the outside for Trace McSorley. And when I look at Penn State, I think they win this game, Joe. But when I watch them against Pitt, which would be their toughest of three opponents, which is not right. saying much. They were okay. I, I didn't think they were dominant in that game. They struggled a little bit offensively, scored 33 points. I think this is a nip-and-tuck battle. At the end of the day, it becomes the Saquon Barkley show. I think he enhances his Heisman resume. Penn State wins this game. But again, this is another case of a home team in a rabid environment with a good defense. Wadley will play. He's close to 100%. So Akram Wadley will have something to prove against Saquon Barkley. I think this is a point where the spread is just too generous. It's up around 13 points. If I can get Iowa at home at night, 
I'm going to take it. Yeah, I think the matchup that I want to see is you see Iowa secondary giving up 238 yards per game. They weren't challenged vertically in the first game against Josh Allen. They shut him down. But Jacob Park had success against that secondary. So that's what I look at heading into this ball game as well. You look at sack totals for Iowa, only five heading into this ball game, and the offensive line for Penn State through three games. Yes, Akron, Pitt, and Georgia State, only two total sacks. As long as it Mc- matters, though, because they've had a problem with the offensive right. line. Over so the I don't course care about of the years, right. So yeah. now, if McSooley has time to pick apart that secondary, that's what I look at, and I still think the speed perspective on the outside. It is Penn State, and defensively, their ability to run sideline to sideline. I don't think Iowa's faced a defense like Penn State yet up until this point. Wyoming, we've seen what they are. Iowa State, yes, they did give up 44 points in that ball game. They're not a dominant defense. I think that's the matchup as well. Penn State's ability to shut down Nathan Stanley in this ballgame. A couple of linebackers, you know, if you're Buckus Award type people, a couple of linebackers to keep uh, your eye on in this game. Jason Cabinda of Penn State against Akram Wadley. And then Josie Jewell, one of the jewels among linebackers <laughs> nationally. He'll be spying Saquon Barkley. So Cabinda and Jewell wouldn't be surprised if both of those kids are north of a dozen tackles this evening. I see this game, Penn State winning by 24. I say 44-24. Yeah, I have Iowa take, I, I Penn State winning Iowa with the points. When we come back, we'll be breaking down the other top 25 games. This is Joe Lisi, Rich Sermonello, live from Studio 34, Fantasy Sports Radio Network. Have you ever wanted to have a fantasy expert in the palm of your hand? Or better yet, in the pocket of your khakis? Well, check it out. Now you can. It's the Fantasy Sports Radio Network app. Download it now to your phone. We promise no weird viruses, no strange tracking things. Just 24 hours a day, seven days a week of pure fantasy knowledge dropping all over your head. It's the Fantasy Sports Radio Network app. Stop being a weirdo and streaming it online. Get it on your phone. Take it with you everywhere you go. on college football today given our early game picks rich and joe joe and rich i love penn state georgia and colorado as my early plays rich i know you're against me with mississippi state and state nc state and you like texas a&m i do yeah uh listen i have been if i can say it i've been red hot uh, for the first Very, three weeks. 14 and four. 14 and four on my best bets. 11. Five and one last week. And it here at college today. football today, we like to preach safety. So, <laughs> as hot as I am, it's almost dangerously hot. Joe, I'd like for you to wear this oven mitt. Oh, my when, God. When Joe is anywhere within my radius right here, I'd like, just for his own safety, I am so sizzling hot. With my picks, I'd like for him to go with the oven mid. And yes, I do like Texas A&M, and you should as well, because right now the trend is in my favor, and the trend is in the Aggies' favor. They've won five straight in this series against Arkansas, three straight in Arlington. It's a game that will 
you know, pit coaches that really have to win. Arkansas just doesn't look cohesive to me. Austin Allen, you got the better quarterback, but too many drops from his receivers. That's an issue. Devois Whaley, the running back, was involved in an altercation. There was talk that he might not play this week. The defense is in shambles. I like the skill position players of the Aggies. Kellen Mond, their young quarterback, yes, I'm going to go with a true freshman quarterback here, is getting better. It's a make-it-or-break-it game for Kevin Sumlin and Brett Bielema. I say go with Sumlin, take the Aggies, they're going to win this game. What's funny is last year I was all over NC State, Purdue, and Texas A&M, and Rich now in 2017 is on all those Now, much to your point, I have the oven mitt on. Texas A&M's won the last five games by 19 points per game. That game last year in Arlington was 17 apiece at half before Trevor Knight and Travion Williams took over in the second half of that ball game. But I will say this about Brett Bielma. He is on the hot seat, just like Kevin Sumlin. But he has something, in my opinion, that Texas A&M does not. That's those big uglies on the offensive line. 182 rushing yards per game, with or without Whaley. I think they get it done later today, a 12 o'clock kick. I'm calling for the upset. It's high scoring, but Arkansas gets the upset win over Texas A&M. They need to win this game. And coupled with the fact, Rich, if you look at their schedule, they make it through this this game. They then have New Mexico State and South Carolina, all winnable ball games. They could possibly be 4-1 and one before they face SEC West opponent and top-ranked Alabama. I like Austin Allen. I think they rebound from that abysmal performance in yeah. Fayetteville against TCU. Well, I mean, you, you like the big uglies in that game against the Horned Frogs as well. And, and, and to be honest wrong. with you, Frank Ragnow is a talented next level interior lineman but the rest of the offensive line has not been getting it done and and that's an issue that i have as well a&m despite the fact that they lost miles garrett they lost Deshaun hall still has talent on that defensive line back end is stronger than arkansas is i think they have more talent on defense better skill players you touched on travion williams travion was not healthy last week he is back this week i just see the aggies being the deeper team trending in the right direction. They've struggled. They're not a great football team. But I think at the end of the day, the the track record continues. That five-game winning streak becomes six. I like the Aggies as one of my six best bets of the afternoon. You gave me the oven, man. Keep, just and, please. Stay and away. You're, you're playing tin cup. You're laying up. I know you Why? are. Why? Why is that tin Because the cup? safe pick is Texas A&M. They're wearing, just so you know, gray helmets. In this ball game, Arkansas is. I, I like saw them. That. They look really. They look really nice. Yeah. And they need I think it's something. An honor of Jerry Jones, they, right? And yeah. They, yeah, yeah. They need something to get motivated. I say Austin Allen and the crew start fast in this ball game. I expect them to get a four point victory over Texas A and M and Kevin Sumlin. When we come back, we'll be talking about USC and California. Joe Lisi, Rich Sermonello, live from New York, Studio Thirty Four, Fantasy Sports Radio Network.